I don't know if you've noticed, but people like to predict the future. I mean, you only have to remember a few months ago when there was an election and everyone was listening to the polls, right? That's like the staple of election life is what do people think is going to happen? Only to be completely surprised at what actually did happen. It's not a it's not just in politics, of course. I mean, the weather is quite remarkable as well. If you were to remember, it was just a few days ago when it was freezing cold and raining here. And who would have predicted that it's going to be 80 and sunny next week? In fact, uh, well, the weatherman would predict it, but we wouldn't believe them. Because they, they miss, though they love to predict it. I mean, I use, I've watched sports all my life. But only recently have I noticed on ESPN there's a little box under sort of the, the, the box score, the game summary, that as the game goes on, it gives you what are the odds that each team will win. And this was a little graph. And so there was a big play. You know, for one team, it goes up for that team and down for the other team. And, and you, can, you can see what the odds are that, in fact, that team's going to win. Now, I say that because most of us approach being a Christian the same way. It's sort of a, a gamble. Sort of, you know, what are the odds that God is doing something here? In fact, last week, you recall that we, we looked at Romans 8.28, one of the best passages in all of the Bible. For all things work together for good, for those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. What are the odds that that would be the case? In other words, do you really believe it? And if you did, how would you know? Let me give you a couple for instances, right? Just from this past week. Uh, some, some were easy, right? Some are easy, some are hard. Sometimes it's easy to see what God's doing. Sometimes it's not so easy. So, as many of you know, I'm on the board of Western Seminary, and um, and many of you also know that Taylor graduated from seminary. My son graduated from seminary uh, yesterday, and so I'm on the board. There was a graduation. It's always good when you're a board member to see people graduate, and it's even better to see your son graduate. And it's even better on a beautiful sunny day. And so I'm thinking all of those things work together for good. Now, what is that good that God had in mind for me? He wanted me to have a nice weekend, didn't He? No, I'm serious. That's kind of how we think about it, isn't it? God loves me and wants me to have a nice weekend. Some of those are maybe easy, right? Some Some are hard. Uh, about uh, ten days ago, Marsha was on her way somewhere, and uh, she was turning right, and the pedestrian was walking across the crosswalk, and so she started. The pedestrian started. She stopped, but the car behind her didn't, and so the car behind her just went bam right into her bumper. I imagine the person would have tried to escape, except. I've never seen this before. It left an imprint of the license plate (laughs) 
painted number and all on her bumper. So, I mean, we, can, <laughs> we have the license plate right on the bumper of who hit her. And, you know, she, she texted me and said that this happened. And, of course, I asked her, you know, are you, um, are you okay? And things. And she said, I'm a little achy, but I think I'm fine. And I have to ask the question then. How does that work together for good? I mean, it's good she didn't get hurt. I mean, it's good that it wasn't just more than a license plate imprint on our bumper. You know, I mean, we had had that bumper nicked up about, I don't know, six years ago, and we didn't get it taken care of. And so now it's, <laughs> now we probably have to get it taken care of. Oh, that's good. God saved me some money. By getting, giving me something to get that bumper fixed. All things are working together for good for me. You don't seem very convinced. (laughs) And I think it's, you think it's funny that I think that. I think it's funny you're not convinced. Because all of us approach, see, we all approach being a Christian that way, don't we? What are the odds that this is the good that God had in mind for me? What, what do I think is happening over here? What is God maybe doing here? I don't know. We're trying to figure it out and we stumble along and we wonder, what is God up to in all of these things? And what that does is that just sort of keeps us off balance and makes us uh, always unsure. And it's even worse, really, when when it's when it's harder than a you know dinged up bumper. If it's a serious problem, if it's a health problem, maybe it's, maybe there's a event in the news that just you can't escape, or maybe um, you lose your job. I mean, there are things that are far worse than I've been talking about. And then we really do wonder. What is God doing here? And how could this work for good? And so, this morning, I want to take a look at the Scriptures and I hope help you see how those things work together for good. What that good is and what God's purpose in that event is. So, um, in order to do that, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8. And uh, we're going we're to look at Romans 8, beginning in verse 28. But before we do, I want to give you just a little orientation because the orientation tells me that we're not talking about easy things in life. We're not talking about the fun things or the things that make us laugh a little bit. We're talking about the things that are painful and hard and that we don't understand. You see, in verse 18 of Romans 8, he sort of sets the stage for this part of the, um, this section of his letter. And he says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. 
And it is the, the consideration of the suffering that causes us this misunderstanding. And, and he goes on to talk about how it causes our spirits to groan. And, and really, we're, we're in the same situation as all of creation, which is disappointed with the way that things are and hopeful for the way that things will be one day when God makes everything right. But for right now, all we see are the sufferings of this present time. And so that is, that is the, uh, the thing that sets the scene for uh, what comes now in Romans 8.28. And it says that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. In our next question, of course, all of our next questions are, how is this possible? How can my thing work together for good? Well, it doesn't work together. All things don't work together for good for everybody. They work together for good for those called according to His purpose. Who are called according to God's purpose. And this gives us a hint at what's coming. A hint that... That God is doing something that is really satisfyingly good. And at the same time, doing something that is accomplishing a purpose. A purpose that is bigger, maybe better, than what we might see in a dinged up bumper or uh, in a sunny weekend. They're called according to His purpose. So all things are working together for good for those called according to His purpose. Now here is, uh, here is the reason that that works. I don't know if you ever thought about how that might work or why it works. But verse 29 says, I am going to explain now, Romans 8.28. I want to explain all these things working together for good for... Those he foreknew. Or because. For this reason. And so what he's taking is that wonderful, precious promise in Romans 8.28. And now he's going to build a framework around it or build a foundation underneath it so you and I can be confident that all things are going to work together for good. So this is how we know. Because. It's going to work together for good because God's doing this. Because those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. Now you're going to look at that and you're going to notice some words here that are going to cause your brains to sort of seize up. Okay, I've, been, I've talked about these things for a lot of years and every time I do, people's brains seize up. Okay? For those He foreknew. God knew, God, God knew this ahead of time. God knew you beforehand. God knew your circumstance beforehand. He foreknew this. In other words, the sufferings of this present time that are not worth being compared to the glory of shall be revealed is not a surprise to God. 
He knew it ahead of time. He knew it would be you that would be suffering that ahead of time. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. So it wasn't merely that God knew something ahead of time, looked forward into time then, and made it so. That somehow God knew this ahead of time and then He sealed it certainly. Like, this is what some people say, that God foreknew that you would choose Him and because He knew you'd choose Him, then, well, you know, He chose you. Sort of like, you can't fire me because I quit. Sort of thing. Like you, you, a preemptive strike on God's part. It's not that at all. If, if God wanted, If God wanted to let you know that the most important thing here in, in, in the good that He's working was the free will of human beings and the contingency of all that might happen, He would use very different language than this. In other words, what He's trying to do here is to communicate to you and to me that what God is doing will be successful. That what God is doing will be certain here. He knew this ahead of time and He determined it to be so beforehand. And one of the things I just want to say is some of you listen to language like this. And you immediately go to theological argumentation. Well, how can this be Calvinistic? You know, I just want to say that that's not what this is for. God did not say that all things work together for good according to, for those who are called according to His purpose. Purpose is, is the same kind of word, right? For His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He predestined. He did not say all those things so that you would argue about theology. then why did He say those things? He said those things so that you might be confident that what God is talking about is going to be good. So that the ifs and the ands and the buts are all disposed of and God makes sure of good for you and for me. That's why he uses this language. This is not particularly sectarian talk. In other words, God's not favoring some theological position over another. This is very simply the way that God talks. I mean, you don't have to understand it. You don't have to like it. You don't have to be able to wrap your brain around it. You just have to know that God means to tell you this. And you don't need to explain it away. The very first Christian sermon, in fact, was preached in Acts chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost. And this is, this is the punchline of the sermon. That Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified 
and killed by the hands of lawless men. And what he's saying there is that the good that comes to you because Jesus went to the cross, was buried and rose again, is not a circumstantial accident. That God was not, oh dear, what are we going to do now? God was not worrying that somehow Pilate's um, lack of courage or Herod's um, evil intent or Judas' betrayal would somehow frustrate what God is doing No, the the Christian preaching of the cross and the resurrection is that God, by His definite plan and foreknowledge, crucified Jesus with the help of lawless men. God was doing something good in Jesus. And He meant to do it. And it was certain that that good would come. And so this is not, again, this is not particularly theological preaching. This is simply, this is simply what God wants to communicate to you about what He is doing in Jesus. He means to do it for you. He will certainly do it for you. You don't have to wonder what God might accomplish. And he goes on to say that He raised Him from the dead and that He changed the course of history because of Jesus. And God meant to do that. And so now, we think about our circumstances and the suffering of this present time, and we go back to the, to the words of Romans 8, and we wonder, I wonder if God is really going to bring good from this. Whom He foreknew, He predestined. Yeah, He means this, doesn't He? He means this for the people who are called according to the purpose of God. He's not messing around. He means for this to be for you and for me solid hope. So, now we get, now we get a statement. There's our first statement of the good that God intends. All things are working together for good because those He foreknew He predestined to this. To this. To be conformed to the image of His Son. What is God doing in the sufferings of this present time? What is God doing as He's working all these things for good? He is conforming you to the image of His Son. What a beautiful phrase for God's intention and His purpose in our sufferings and in our circumstances. He is conforming us to the image of His Son. Now, there there, there are three or four things here I want to make sure that you notice. Besides, I suppose, the fact that God means to do this. God is not shrugging His shoulders wondering what that uh, fender bender meant. 
God is not shrugging His shoulders wondering about what a graduation or what a diagnosis or what a pink slip or what a mortgage payment meant. Okay? Which, by the way, one of the ways that you want to think about the good that God is going to do here, it needs to, it needs to work for other people besides just 21st century North Americans. You know, which pretty much takes my bumper out of the equation. It's, I mean, it's not doing something there. He's doing something that he might do in Africa or in China or in the 14th century or in the early church. And here it tells us he's conforming us to the image of his son. It's one of the one of the beautiful things that this indicates is that God has a goal for your life and for my life. That His goal is that you might become like Jesus. And through the suffering, those, those hard edges on your life are you know, sanded off. Sometimes the suffering is so bad that they're cut off, Right? until you become shaped like Jesus. And I think that He has in mind both now, progressively, so that now as a... Uh, I, um, I went to an event on, on Thursday. I had two people in a row. Not just two people overall, but two people in a row told me that I looked old. And what, that, what I like to think, right is that God intends this as a progressive thing. That I'm going to be conformed to the image of the Son. And I like to think that what they meant by me looking old was that I look more like Jesus now at my age than I did when I was young. I'm pretty sure that's not it, but I like to think that. That there is a progressive nature to this conformity that makes me look like Jesus. There is, a, I think, even a, a better or bigger thing here that ultimately, if you look ahead at verse 30, it ends with the word glorified. What he has in mind at the very, 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 very end is that I'm finally going to get there. Okay, I'm going to progressively get there through my lifetime and then when I pass into His presence and am standing before God in the end, the, the work that He is doing in my life is going to be to, to make me look like His Son. And so that's the work that Jesus is about in my life. There's even just a little bit more going on there. And I'm not going to spend much time on this, but it would be uh, it rewards your thought, so I'm going to mention it. He is conformed to the image of His Son. The way that He, dis- the way that he expresses that, the image of His Son, is a way that causes me to reflect back on the very first page of the Bible. When God said, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, He created them. And we know then right away that Adam and Eve, who were made in the image of God, sinned and, and failed as the image of God. 
that they then pass along this damaged or broken image of God to me. So that God's purpose in creating human beings in the very beginning was to, was to make them in such a way that they would have communion with God and, be, and reflect who He is. And that was frustrated by Adam and Eve's sin. What this tells me is that now, in Jesus, God is... <laughs> don't take this the wrong way. God is taking a mulligan. God is doing this... Oh, He's getting a do-over here. He is doing in Jesus what He started to do in Adam. Through the scope of history now, God is back where He was making us into His image so that He might have fellowship with us. So that we might represent Him. So there might be this communion between God and human beings like there was supposed to be in the beginning. But I just think that's beautiful to to sort of tie the whole Bible together. And that's all I'm going to say about it though. Just to let you think about it because I think it's really a rich idea. Which gives you then an additional level of confidence that God's really serious about this. He foreknew it. He predestined it. He is doing now what He started to do before that will ultimately be completed in the end to conform us to the image of His Son. And our first thought is, yay! He's doing something wonderful for me in all of my suffering, in all of my circumstances. He loves me. He's doing something wonderful for me. And guess what? He is. He is. But there is a purpose of God underneath this purpose. This is, you might say, the personal purpose of God's good in my life. There is more than that, though, a cosmic good that God is doing through my suffering in bringing about good. And this is it. In order that. So, just like this verse began, verse 20, the link between 28 and 29, that God uh, is going to bring good to those who love Him and call according to His purpose, because, or for, this reason, those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be called uh, to conform to the image of His Son. That's the reason for that. But the reason for the conforming to the image of His Son, the purpose underneath the purpose, the unshakable intent of God in all of this has to do with Jesus more than it does with me. That Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. So that Jesus might have company in heaven. So that Jesus might stand forth as preeminent. Which is what we read earlier, right? Twice that verse that said He is the firstborn among the dead. That he might, in everything He might have preeminence. That's what God's about in this. Bringing me into conformity with Jesus so that there's some sort of familial relationship between me and Jesus and He stands forth as preeminent in that family. 
or I suppose if you want to think about it a different way, that if God was not doing something good in Jesus, if he didn't, you know, if it wasn't his um, set purpose and foreknowledge like we saw in Acts, if God wasn't doing that, then who knows? Maybe, maybe not. Something might happen because of Jesus. If God wasn't doing that in Jesus, uh, well, let me say it positively, not negatively. Because God was doing that in Jesus. Then, Jesus is, is saving person after person after person. They are being changed day by day by day. And they are then accompanying Him into the glory of all of eternity to enjoy the presence of God forever. Jesus is the firstborn. He is, he is the first one to pass through death and live forever so that there might be many others who join Him in eternity. God is doing something here that is beautiful for Jesus. And as He does something beautiful for Jesus, He's doing something beautiful for me and for you. In the thing that He's doing that's beautiful for me and for you, bringing good out of all of our circumstances, conforming us to the image of His Son, is as certain as the work that He is doing in Jesus. Now, I hope you're getting the impression that God doesn't desire you to be confused. That He doesn't want you to be filled with anxiety about whether or not you belong to Him, whether or not He is working in your life, or any of that. God wants you to be absolutely confident. Otherwise, He'd certainly talk about the Christian life differently than this. I mean, you may not understand any of this, but as you look at those words, you just have to say, God really wants this to be sure. Okay, and if, if you're not certain of that, okay, you just have to go to the next verse, right? The next verse is even more overwhelming than that verse was. For those whom He predestined, He called, and those He called, He also justified, and those He justified, He also glorified. There is this chain of events, this, uh, this series that God has set in motion to go from the beginning to the end so that you and I might be sure that God will accomplish what God set out to do. Those whom He predestined. God established this beforehand. Those He called. I mean, the call... The call there, we might misunderstand the call because we have you know, cell phones, right? Sometimes you get a call and you can answer it or not. That's not what he has in mind. Okay, it's, I mean, you can think of it, there, there are two kinds of calls to dinner for, for the kids, right? The kids are out playing and um, the first call is, Hey kids, dinner's ready. 
they keep playing, right? Okay, as though the call to dinner is optional. But then <laughs> there's the second call, right? The, the other calls. Many of you have probably heard that call when you were kids. Kids, dinner's on. And, and it's really the same call, but the one you come for and the other you may or may not come for. This is the second kind. I mean, there's no, there's no anger like there might be in a parent over dinner. This is just thus a certain call. You are called and you are coming. Those, I mean, much like predestination. You're pre, those He predestined, those He called, certainly, that they would come. He wanted to make sure they got here. And those He called, He justified. Now, this is, a, this is the first one of these words that we've seen before. Which is kind of interesting. He's, he uses foreknown, He uses purpose, He uses all these words that He's just now in, in, introducing. But this is the one we've seen. And this is the one that I want to make sure that you know about. That you don't forget about. Those whom He called, He justified. And those He justified. And so I just want to review Romans 3. Because He talks about our sin and us falling short of the glory of God and and us not um, honoring God like we should and us being rejected by Him. But, we are restored or made right with God. That's what justified means. To be made right. It's the same uh, word as righteous. So when you see righteousness or justification, you know it means to be made right with God. And so you are made right with Him by His grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to satisfy His wrath. To be received by faith that this was to show God is righteous. That God Himself is right. Because in His divine forbearance or patience, He passed over former sins. It wouldn't be right for God not to deal with sin. It would be wrong of Him. But He's right. And so what does He do? He put Jesus forward as someone who would deal with sin. So that, it says, this was to show His righteousness, that God is right, right now, at the present time, and He might be just in the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now, I went back to justification because I wanted you to know this is your entry point into this experience. This is the way that you um, you know, hold on for yourself this certainty that God gives you. And this is what it says. God put Jesus forward to satisfy His wrath by His blood to be received by faith. See, what this means, this this isn't, again, just a theological talk. This is God certainly doing something that you must respond to by believing that, yes, in fact, that is what God is going to do. And when God is going to do that, I believe it. I'm counting on that. I'm not, I'm, I'm giving up on my old thing, which was trying to perform so God would like me. Giving up on my old thing of doing my own way and calling my own shots. But instead, I'm going to believe that God is 
God is actually doing this for me. To be received by faith so that God might be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Him. And so what I'm inviting you to do this morning is to believe that God is actually going to make you right with Him as part of this glorious work that He began long ago when He predestined and when He foreknew. And so that He called you so that you might be justified by faith. So you don't get justified just because God predetermined you or just because God called you. What the Scripture says is that everyone who believes is saved. He offers eternal life to everyone who believes. And so you can't just blow that off and say, that's for other people. I'm not sure that's me. Make sure it's you. Say, this is what I want. I believe this. Because God will justify those who have faith. And that inserts you then into this beautiful sequence of events that gets you all the way to the end. Those whom He justified, He glorified. Now, there's just one other thing you have to notice here. Most of us think of glory, and we equate it in, in a context like this with heaven, right? God glorified. You know, I'm going to one day die and go to heaven. But wait a minute. That's, thankfully, still in the future. But if you read this very carefully... He predestined in the past. He called in the past. He justified in the past. And God glorified in the past. All those are past tense. Back, you know, if you were to look at this with uh, your eighth grade uh, grammar in mind. So how can God have done something in the past that is yet to be future? And I think that the, the, the answer to that is very simply that it is so certain. We're right back to where we were, aren't we? That God is so intent on making sure this happens, it can be spoken of as if it already has. Let me say it that way. For those whom He predestined, He called, and those He called, He justified, and those He justified, He also glorified. See, God's not messing around here. Maybe <laughs> That's the thing. God is serious about this. Now, I just want to step back for a moment to where we began. Because I want you to know what he's serious about. We started in verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time. See, he's not, he's not talking about the fun and games of life. He's not talking about only the religious experiences of life. He's not talking about what you do when you're in church. He is talking about the hardest things that you face ever. And those hard things, because of God's commitment to you, to do good for you, to conform you to the image of His Son, to exalt Jesus in your life and sufferings, to ultimately predestine, call, justify, glorify you. Because of God's commitment in the midst of your hard things, you can be absolutely 
confident. See, I mean, it's my hope and prayer that as you think about the sufferings of the present time and you just go away and you get knocked down and you're thinking, how can I get back up? How can I recover from this? This is beyond me. It's my hope and prayer that you will remember Romans 8.28-30 that whatever it is that knocks you down, God, God is there in the midst of that and He is working on your behalf to do good for you and to bring you safely all the way to the end. Because the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Let's pray. Oh, our great God and Father, I will be the first to admit that I wonder what You're doing in my life, that I question it, that I struggle with it, that it doesn't make sense to me. And Father, I want to also be the first to thank You and to praise You for Your expression here this morning in these verses of Your firm commitment to do good to me by those hard things. Your commitment to see me all the way to the end. And so, Father, I pray, not just for my own heart, that I would have faith, but, Father, I pray for everyone here this morning that You would grant us faith to believe Your promises. That, yes, You will justify us in Jesus, but more than that, that You will be working in us, that You will get us all the way to when You glorify us. And so, Father, we... We trust You. And we need You to help us in those places where it's hard to trust You. But I thank You that You have told us what You're doing. Would You increase our faith, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.